This is Moving Pictures, and I'm your host, Brent Gunn. We've all heard the old bit, violent movies are making people violent. And, most likely, we've scoffed at the idea that movies, or any form of media, is really influencing violence in any capacity, if any. Not everyone who plays Grand Theft Auto is going to steal a car and join a gang. But what if the films themselves aren't entirely works of fiction in terms of violence? What if the film itself is fundamentally dependent on violent, dangerous, reckless, or self-destructive behavior? What if the film is literally violence? In the same way a fire breather would risk their life for their craft, there are some filmmakers willing to cross over into the realm of hyper-violent realism that may cross some ethical lines for most audiences. Today, we're going to look at three films that could be considered danger cinema, meaning that the film either caused its cast, directors, actors, subjects, etc., to be exposed to real, violent, and or dangerous scenarios, some even being lethal. Just how far should an artist be able to go for their artistic vision, and what is the ethical line if it does exist? Let's take a look at Danger Cinema. The first film we'll be looking at is easily the most notorious of the three, Harmony Korine's unfinished comedy, Fight Harm. Shot in 1999 at the height of Korine's drug abuse, and with the aid of magician David Blaine, Leonardo DiCaprio, and others, Korine was hell-bent on making what he thought would be, quote, the funniest film ever made, unquote. Describing the film as, quote, Buster Keaton mixed with a snuff film, unquote, Kareen's fight harm story, for lack of a better word, was simple but absurd. Kareen would go around town picking fights with strangers of every orientation, ethnicity, etc., and would lose fight after fight, sustaining multiple injuries for the sake of comedy. Kareen established some rules for the fights beforehand. First, Kareen could never throw the first punch in the fight. And secondly, Kareen had to be smaller than his opponent. Kareen wanted to make a radical new form of slapstick comedy, with the audience perceiving the constant violence against our protagonist as joyfully silly. It is unsure just how much of the film was actually shot, and how many fights were actually filmed, and if the film had any kind of narrative structure at all. Kareen was arrested multiple times and suffered numerous injuries during filming even getting his ankles broken by a nightclub bouncer twice his size. The notorious director of 1997's Gummo and 1999's Julian Donkey Boy was in his fearless, reckless prime when attempting to create fight harm. Harassing strangers into a violent altercation with you for the sake of your film can seem a bit unsavory to some, yet the theory of extreme slapstick does seem to make sense. Slapstick's logical, extreme conclusion would seem to suggest a film like Fight Harm. However, the film had to be abandoned due to Kareen's constant arrests and hospital visits. Kareen's film has been described as a project that crosses some kind of ethical line for some, but as we'll see with our next film, the ethical standards Kareen seemed to challenge still pale to the works of some other directors. Next, we're going to be looking at the 2006 documentary The Bridge, directed by Eric Steele. One of those epic days in San Francisco driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. It was crystal clear, the bay was calm, there were 
tourists walking across the bridge. Usually on those types of days, I always soak in the beauty of the bay and look over to Alcatraz. The bridge is easily one of the most disturbingly depressing documentaries out there. Focusing on the topic of suicide and mental illness, Steele conceived a radically dark way to explore the topics. Camp out with a film crew a close distance from the Golden Gate Bridge and film the suicides of people plunging to their deaths from the bridge. It is rumored the film crew filmed over 10,000 hours of footage and recorded up to 24 suicides. But the concept doesn't end there. After the bodies were later identified and taken by the authorities, Steele and his crew would find the families of the dead individuals and ask them what led to their loved one's sad fate. The idea of a film crew waiting patiently to film the death of a stranger, specifically suicide, is unsettling on a deep level. Completely blurring the lines of fiction and reality, ethics and taste, the bridge harshly observes one of the most emotionally painful topics in life. It should be noted that according to Steele, all of the families of the deceased individuals he filmed later interviewed approve of the film and have seen it themselves. Lastly, we'll be looking at a slightly more obscure example of dangerous cinema. Lucifer Valentine, yes, that is his name, a 2012 docudrama Black Metal Veins. Black Metal is not about playing live, not about being part of some bullshit social scene. You know, it's just about, you know, Satan. And I am the person with the talent of... Black Metal Veins observes the lives of heroin addicts, some real and some actors, of the heroin users. Some use their drug use to channel their emotions into playing black metal. I recently rewatched Black Metal Veins before writing this episode, and honestly, the film may be the most effective anti-drug advertisement out there. Because after sitting through this film, I can guarantee you'll never want to do drugs again, and you'll definitely never want to try them. Throughout the film, Valentine uses handheld, grainy footage of drug testimonials mixed with personal vignettes from each of the characters. One of the first characters we're introduced to, a gaunt man with few teeth and a shaved head, who claims to have been selling drugs for most of his life, overdoses and dies early on into filming the documentary. The other characters explain their patterns of usage, why they feel dependent on a drug as insidious as heroin, give dark personal accounts of what they see in the drug-filled underbelly of Midwestern America, and occasionally explain their love and admiration for black metal. Most notoriously in the film, however, is Valentine's raw, unflinching filming of the characters shooting up heroin in any vein that they can find, including the neck. Filming real heroin addicts using real drugs, which could potentially end their lives at any moment, is terrifying and ethically troublesome for some. Now, some aspects of the film are fictitious for the sake of a somewhat dramatic narrative, but Black Metal Veins is more of a warning on the black hole heroin can eventually lead to. The filming of raw drug use and the documenting of a downward spiral of abuse, and even in one case, death, is a place few filmmakers or audiences want to go. Dangerous cinema is out there, but is it only dangerous for those involved? Can violence be permitted in cinema as a contributing force to the peace? Or does film theory need to come second to ethical dilemmas? All right, so with me as always is Mitch. Mitch, how about you say hi? Hello, everybody. My name is Mitchell Kakalka, news editor from Central Michigan Life. Uh, most dangerous man alive here to talk to you about... <laughs> 
most dangerous cinema. So let's talk about these films. Let's go one through, like one by one. Uh, let's okay. start with Fight Harm. What What do you think of Fight Harm? Fight Harm, from what I've read about it, seems like the most Harmony Korean idea I've ever heard come out of our Harmony Korean. Yeah. Um, I'll just get it out there. Harmony Korean's like probably one of my favorite directors ever. Mm. He's he's like top three definitely. I've read countless interviews from him. I've I've read you know books he's written, and I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of like the guy's overall aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that this film was so close to actually being finished, it's just insane to me. And there's really no one else that can make this but him. Harmony Korine, like even in kind of like the pantheon of weird directors, like when people think of weird directors, there's David Lynch and Gaspar Noe, like David Cronenberg, Cronenberg, maybe. Lars von Trier. Like I can't think of anybody like Harmony Korine. He's he is truly like a completely unique. Mm-hmm, director. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like uh, from like an ethical standpoint, do you think that there's a line being cr- crossed here with fight harm? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, when you talk about like ethics when it comes to making um, what in its own kind of sense is in some ways kind of a documentary. It's documentary footage spliced into what I, I guess Kareen would assume would be some type of narr- narrative. Yeah, um, it, it was really unclear um, if there was going to be like a plot to mm-hmm. the film. Some people have compared it to like a predecessor to what Jackass would later become. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This kind of uh, really masochistic comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess it makes sense, but I guess the main difference is Jackass, they're just doing stupid things to themselves, whereas mm-hmm. Kareen. He could be potentially hurting other people. Yeah, definitely. Which, when you look at it from um, like a filmmaking standpoint, um, it right there, like in the in the title, it violates one of the four ethics of the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics, which is minimize harm. Yeah, try to prevent, um, like as as you'd imagine, just prevent harm from coming to your subjects right. at all costs. And here. In this movie, the the punchline of the idea of the movie is cause harm to to right. your subjects. Uh, he did set up some rules, as I stated before, that um, he couldn't throw the first punch. Mm-hmm. He he just had to egg them on. There there's okay. some footage that exists on YouTube that people speculate was for fight harm. Mm-hmm. And watching the video, Kareen like has a banjo in his hand or something and he's just like tap dancing and annoying people (laughs) until later just like who who are you and they they throw a punch at him and then when the fight breaks out you know he can't win the fight Mm -hmm. he has to lose okay so i mean if if he punches someone in this like pseudo self-defense like i guess that is crossing some kind of line Mm -hmm. but i think the whole point of that like self-deprecation and using literally your bones breaking to do it. Yeah. That's such a insanely weird idea to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to see the movie and to see <laughs> like what is actually out there. He said in an interview that um, he has the footage. He has like 10 hours of footage mm-hmm. and he said, it's never going to be released. It's like painful for him to watch. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. one of the darkest periods of his life. He was uh, hooked on drugs. You know, he was, uh, he burned down one of his houses 
Mm-hmm. He was really just kind of spiraling out of control. This was Harmony Corrine at his most Harmony Corrine. Yes. And with the help of David Blaine and oh, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio <laughs> as cinematographers. I had, I heard about David Blaine. I had not heard that DiCaprio was involved in Leo this. Leo was on set. Leo, man. Good old Leo. That crazy Muppet. <laughs> um, Doesn't he hit like a bouncer over the head with a brick at one point? Uh, I believe that happened, but I know for sure that the bouncer did break his ankles. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I heard that act, though. Do, do you think this is a film that you'd want to watch on any level? Uh, I don't want to go on record saying I want to watch this film, but I kind of want to watch this film. If only <laughs> from a stance of morbid curiosity. Right, right. I mean, the director of the film does not even want to acknowledge that the film exists he wants to completely forget about this period of his life this period of uh, just intense self-destructive behavior right it's kind of interesting though. at the time when he was getting interviewed for it he wanted it to be like this mall movie like you would Mm -hmm. go to the mall and see like terminator or something and then you could go see fight harm he thought it would Mm -hmm. really be and i don't know if he was just you know being really ironic which i Mm -hmm. doubt because i don't think he's a very ironic person but the idea that he thought this could be like this big pop movie mm-hmm. is just so, man, it, it, it's so it's so Harmony Kareen, and that that's why I love Harmony Kareen. He's such a such a unique guy. You want to move on to the second film, or you want to? Yeah, okay. I think that's good. Next up, we got the bridge. I think this is a movie that's a little bit tougher to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really have the like satirical kind of darkly humorous edge that right. Fight Harm would have. Whereas, you know, Fight Harm was really self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. The bridge is really much more intrusive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the idea of camping out, you know, 500 feet from the Golden Gate Bridge with a small film crew waiting mm-hmm. to watch people jump and knowing that you're not really preventing it. Because, I mean, like, realistically... The filmmaker could call 911. Mm-hmm. The filmmaker could, you know, drive up there and try to stop them, you know, whatever. In some cases, yeah. In but some in, cases. in a lot of cases, like as depicted in the film, it's just sudden and brutal. Um, in the film, they do talk to one of the survivors who attempted mm-hmm. to kill themselves. And uh, they kind of, you know, reflect on the topic, reflect on what kind of led them to that point in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then them seeking out the families of the deceased to try to find some type of resolution to mm-hmm. you know what happened. Do you think that kind of negates the questionable actions of the director? I think this entire film just exists in a very morally gray area. Right. Um, I guess it's up to, it's up to the audience to decide whether or not making this film was worth it. Yeah, that, that's, that's really the big question I have with it because I'm all for directors, you know, wanting to talk about subjects like that in a really sincere way or a really raw way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was that show, like 12 Reasons Why, 13 Reasons Why? What, what was that show? Um, a Thousand Ways to Die, was that it? What, what, what's 13 Reasons Why? 13 Reasons Why. Okay, yeah. Uh, people got all outraged about that show mm-hmm. for, you know, broaching – you know, suicide topics and everything. And I never watched the show. I never really had a desire to it. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Um, but in that case, um, 
13 Reasons Why, like, was controversial because it's a fictional narrative right. that kind of, in its own way, gives a very darkly, but albeit darkly, but still darkly romanticized view on yeah. the main character's suicide. That's whereas, kind of the vibe I got from it. Whereas in the case of The Bridge, it's all... It's all completely nonfiction. It's it, all yeah, it's completely matter of fact. It's just observational. Well, this is it. Life and death as, as it's happening. Which, like, if I can be honest, I'd rather have that than some kind of romanticized, you know, oh, definitely, um, yeah. Tumblr-esque <laughs> talk on suicide. I don't <laughs> think that that really gives the topic, like, the respect it deserves. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know. It seems like there's two extremes to it. Like, you have the bridge on one end where uh, it's somewhat reckless to try to make a good point or try to prevent mm-hmm. harm in the future. Then you have something like 13 Reasons Why, which if you, you know, talk to some people who have seen the show, they found it really kind of triggering in some aspects yeah, because definitely. didn't they show self-harm in the show? Or? The climactic scene of the final episode is the actual act of suicide right. taking place. Sim- simulated for, of, co- of course, um, for the narrative, but still very graphic. I think um, the director, Eric Steele, he's probably self-aware enough because mm-hmm. during filming, when he went to go talk to the families, he mm-hmm. didn't tell them ahead of time that he had filmed their uh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. family members' suicide. Mm-hmm. He conveniently left that portion out of the interview. But um, I think that shows that he was self-aware of just how kind of tainted the idea was or how morally gray the idea was um but then he he goes on to claim that uh he got a blessing from the family you know after they saw the film uh, Mm -hmm. all the family members involved which man i don't know if i could Mm -hmm. i could give that a pass that that would just be too weird for me if he really did give like get a blessing from all the families there might have been some degree of i want to say coercion but maybe um, manipulation to manipulation, an extent. um not complete transparency on his and part. And of course this is just speculation. Yeah. I mean, we really don't know. Um I, I think Eric Steele made the film with very gallant intentions. Mm-hmm. I think uh he wanted to make something really blunt, really direct about a really, you know, harsh topic. Uh-huh. I can't fault him for that, but I completely understand why people hate this film or never want to watch it you know it's a, to call it a rough subject for a lot of people would be wouldn't really even be scratching the surface so does this cross an ethical line for you um going back to the spj code of ethics it does kind of break one rule which is be transparent and accurate and accountable mm-hmm. which in the case of how he filmed this nods not hundred percent transparent because he didn't he like talk to the bureau of the like Golden Gate Bridge like the people behind behind it or um. like the state of California and um he said that he was basically filming something similar to like um nature documentary yeah about they, they, they did the, they did kind of mislead people on what they were doing the intersection between monument and nature I think was the words that he used and again like I said we don't really know like Everything. Everything behind it to know how ethically he approached um, getting all this film, getting approval to have all this film. Right. So in that case, eh, it's a bit reckless again. Um, um, I 
going back to the question I posed earlier, how much do you think an artist you know should be given? Like, how much leeway? How much can an artist really get away with for you know vision? Because I mean, I think uh, accountability is the question that's always going to, is going to be the most important factor to all this. Like, if if they're going to push the limits as far as they can go, they better be ready to face the consequences of it. Right. And so in that sense, I don't think, I mean, just um, the general sense, I don't think there's any s- strong like limit to what a filmmaker can do right. besides like killing somebody on camera yeah, or um, stuff like that. But yeah, there's definitely, um, there's, filmmakers and artists when they're doing stuff like this they need to have approach it with um a, some degree of respect yeah I agree. and um the with the assumption that there's going to be um responsibility on their part right to be um held accountable for afterwards I mean, you, you can go to any college campus in america mm-hmm. and find some you know very self-important art major mm-hmm. who's doing some performance art that I'm sure crossed some ethical line in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can look at people like Gigi Allen too. Oh know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of examples in every medium of art of people who crossed some ethical line to make some kind of a point mm-hmm. with regards to fight harm. I don't really think it's a, it's a film that's trying to make any kind of a real statement. It's just no. a, a, absurd experiment with the bridge i think it's purposefully crossing ethical lines i mean mm-hmm. if if steel didn't think he was crossing an ethical line he would have been out outright with what he was filming you know mm-hmm. he wouldn't have tried to hide it but i think he did it with good intentions which i mean we can argue all day whether or not that negates it mm-hmm. but now with the third film black metal veins uh where where, where do you think that falls in with the whole ethical topic this i don't even know in the case of black metal veins i mean the way like you describe it it sounds a little bit similar to other um, media that's kind of available in this um true life um drug store experiences like right. the the show um what's called intervention yeah yeah um plenty of hbo documentaries mm-hmm. have broached this topic so when it comes to um, filming and being like present for this self-destructive behavior of that is drug use, there's, I think there is um, some degree of um, journalistic necessity behind it. I mean, this very much is something that happens, something that affects a lot of people. And it should be noted at the very beginning of the film. Uh, there's text that's basically mm-hmm. calling this an anti-drug movie. Mm-hmm. It, it is essentially a movie made for the purpose of exposing you to how just non-beneficial something like heroin mm-hmm. is. It, it's not a film that's trying to glorify it or anything. Yeah, I think showing like drug use like that and in, in, in any sort of like real way, non-dramatized way, is inherently going to be um, an anti-drug movie because right. there's really no way you can show something like this and glorify it. And I I think of the three films that we have here today, this is probably the least ethically troubling for mm-hmm. me because I feel like this film, yeah, it does show you know people shooting up. It does show things that are pretty extreme. 
Um, but the purpose of the film is essentially you don't want to end up like this. Mm-hmm. Like this is where it can logically conclude. You know, your your life very, very well may end mm-hmm. if you do this drug. Yeah. Um, I, I think that exposing harsh content for what it is and showing really ugly content in the light of persuading people away from it, I think that's a really positive way of mm. sending a message with film, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it It's almost like how people would satirize, you know, extreme racism or something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to satirize racism, you need to expose racism, you know? Where if you're going to demean drug use, you can't just have a guy doing a P, uh, PSA, mm-hmm. you know? And then that's probably what makes filmmaking and documentary filmmaking one of the most effective mediums to kind of carry that message because like being able to see it happening like not dramatized not um set up in any way just see the act of drug use like as it's happening with real people is more effective than, than any rhetoric that you can generate about it exactly and i i have a pretty thick skin when it comes to movies mm-hmm. I, I rewatched this about you know four days ago for the episode, and I had to turn away plenty okay. of times because mm-hmm. it's just, man, it, it it's effective. I I won't lie, definitely. it's definitely effective. But what, what's weird is the director. This is like his only serious film. He makes a bunch of these weird like, <laughs> stupid gore movies or something. He's like mm-hmm. a complete oddball. But um, he decided to make like an anti truck movie out of nowhere. It's so <laughs> weird. Um. What's his name again? <laughs> um, it's just so stupid. Um, Lucifer Valentine. That it's not his real name. It's like a <laughs> Too edgy bad. pseudonym or something. Mm-hmm. I really wish like <clears throat> he didn't have that facade and he mm-hmm. could just make like really cool documentaries. Yeah. But hey, hire him yeah. for something like Vice or yeah. I mean, that, that that's a great example. I mean. Vice has documentaries touch, mm-hmm. touching on, you know, drug usage and uh, extreme topics like that. And I don't think anyone really gets too up in arms around Vice when, you know, it's a documentary. I think when people, mm-hmm. uh, audiences connect a lot to narrative. When a film mm-hmm. has a narrative component to it, they always think that, oh, well, then any content in the film is endorsement. You know, mm-hmm. if you have characters doing abhorrent things in your film you must be endorsing it on some level because it's a narrative film. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's a documentary, they usually separate, you know, those mm-hmm. two uh, categories, but it's just a weird thing. Audiences do. I'm not sure why. Um, I think with narratives, you kind of expect somebody to have like created the scenario in their minds and um, chose for it to be acted out on camera, like going back to fight harm, which was, Apparently, an an approach to a narrative, right? Um, using real footage, whereas um, black metal veins is again just real life captured on cinema. Yeah, um, Kareen described Fight Harm as a uh, he wanted to make the funniest film ever made, and I'm using <laughs> air quotes. And he also described it as air quotes again, Buster Keaton mixed with a snuff film. Oh, so I mean. <laughs> Beautiful. I, it it oh man, what a guy, what a guy. Let, let let's get harmony on the show. We should. Like man, let, let, let's create a CMU petition for that. 
Um, what's Harmony working on right now? He's working on the Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey because oh. uh, Spring Breakers came out in 2012, and he's doing this uh kind of Florida gang trilogy. Okay. So Beach Bums, it's supposed to be like the stoner comedy about Matthew McConaughey, who's this beach bum. Mm. So so Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. So Matthew McConaughey is a. Uh, it's it's just a, it's just a documentary about Matthew McConaughey. It's a documentary. I was or... just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think I would like to talk a little bit more on um. If you think these films have any kind of repercussion to them, or if you think a director or any kind of artist, but let's keep it spe- specifically to director, mm-hmm. um, do they have re- any responsibility in the real world if they have a film that has realistic violence like that? I mean, you're, you're always going to have films like, you know, Last Tango in Paris mm-hmm. or films that have unsimulated sex or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> People are always going to make the claim that... Um, it crosses a line into, you know, pornography or whatever. Do you think mm-hmm. that films with real violent content cross that, you know, into like pornography or it doesn't mm-hmm. become art in that case? I think um, with the films that we've talked about, it kind of goes on a case by case basis with fight harm. Uh, maybe, maybe Korean was maybe not endorsing this behavior, but not 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 endorsing it like if, especially if he wants to make um air quotes the funniest movie ever made right there's obvious obvious that he finds all this violence funny and or at least finds it um engaging engaging entertaining yeah some degree of um and i mean to be fair you know a lot of people go online and they find videos of people dropping hammers on their feet and mm-hmm. you know hurting themselves and they, they crack up over, I mean, look at Tosh.0, you know, Oh yeah. see people getting hurt every day on that mm-hmm. show and people crack up. <laughs> I mean, maybe Karina was just more blunt with it than Daniel Tosh, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I guess nobody ever really will know except Kareen. But when going on to the bridge, um, no, I don't, I don't think, um, a director can be responsible for, um, this kind of material, especially because it's regardless of any behind the scenes like um, manipulation he might have done to get the film made, like the bulk of the film is just filming something that happens, filming um, something that happens um, every day, every week in this um, location in America. Right. And <clears throat> I guess he's. J- He's just, um, may, I guess, maybe the first person to not look away um, while this is happening. It's very fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? And in some cases, in some cases, sometimes that, that's really what you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a really unfortunate truth, but sometimes like you can only help people so much, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what the film was trying to get across. Maybe, you know, it wanted to talk to the families to try to pick up the pieces of, you know, it's not our responsibility to, you know, save mm-hmm. your loved one. I'm just a filmmaker, you know. Yeah. It's a really it's a really interesting mm-hmm. uh avenue to take that. Mm-hmm. What about black metal veins? Um as far as I 
as far as I know from what's his name? Lucifer Valentine. Lucifer Valentine. As far as um what I've heard about him, um it seems his heart was in the right place when making this movie. As grotesque as it is, like it sounds like one of the more effective anti drug um messages that you can you can make. Right. Again, going back to like the power of film, um showing this as it's happening is probably um really the most drastic um, thing you can do when it comes to like preventing this type of behavior. Right. And uh, there's a lot of films that we haven't talked about. There's a lot of films. I mean, look at Poltergeist Mm -hmm. where the creation of that film was just plagued with any like fatality. A lot of like supernatural um, movies like that, like the omen, like both versions of the omen. That's really absurd too. Do you think it's correct to categorize these films as dangerous films? I mean, specifically films that in, involve, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in the in the cases of those films, it just it's a matter of belief. Like if you believe all these things, all these tragedies that occurred behind the scenes happened because the movie was made, um, b- because they used real skeletons during Poltergeist, because right. they dared make a movie about the Antichrist with the Omen. Um, I don't know if I'd call, consider them dangerous cinema yeah. because both the audience and the directors approach those movies with a sense of um, kind of disconnect from yeah. um, what's happening in them. Um, whether or not, like, there's a super, again, I really don't know a way to say it, supernatural um, force that makes these films so risky to make. Right. I can't really say, but but I think they are a different category from something like Fight Harm or documentaries like we've talked about today. Have you ever heard of Danger Music? I don't believe I have, no. It's an actual like uh, category of music out there where the music is kind of dependent on the musician or artist Mm -hmm. uh committing harm uh in in some capacity like it's played at a volume that could hurt your ears um there's this one noise music noise musician i'm aware of um he's actually working on an album with death grips right now (laughs) and what he does is he has this big plane of glass Mm -hmm. with contact mics hooked up to it going to like distortion pedals just creating like god-awful noise and he's, you know, grinding the glass into his mouth as he's like screaming into the glass. It vibrates the mics, and the mics, you know, send inputs. And we should get this guy on the podcast. Oh, like he'd be I'd very interesting to. to have. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I got a bunch of Facebook friends that are always raving about him. But this, this is something that's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are films, there is music out there that is trying to. I think not only engage the artists, but engage uh, the audience with this level of risk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that's why people went to go see Gigi Allen back in the day. Not yeah. a lot of people loved his music, but mm-hmm. there was this promise of risk associated <laughs> with it, like this adrenaline mm-hmm. rush. And I think that's what all of these directors were kind of trying to do with these mm-hmm. films, you know, kind of pique your morbid curiosity and kind of give you some kind of titillation for mm-hmm. adrenaline, you know? I think it's it's been said before that, like, that's kind of the nature of art is to um, push the boundaries of 
um, human experience, human senses, and for a certain like subsection of like artists, like it's I guess the natural conclusion of that philosophy, like push the boundaries of your perception as far as they can go. Right. Also, will sometimes entail pushing your body, um, pushing other people's bodies to as far as they can go in the name of um, expression. Do you think most people listening to this are just going to think these movies are just stupid or just? Uh... There's going to be a couple people, um, yeah. especially Fight Harm. Oh yeah, which is a very like anybody involved with that movie will tell you it's a it was a very stupid venture. I don't know if I'll say it's stupid. I'll say mm-hmm. it's very Korean esque. Korean. That's I guess that's the only way you can really describe it. That's it's it's a, its own adjective, Korean esque. Like Lynchian. Lynchian, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was pretty good discussion today. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks a lot, Mitch. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Dangerous Cinema is somewhat of a filmmaking oddity, a novelty completely soaked in taboos and controversy. Whether these filmmakers are brave, geniuses, reckless idiots, or just plain disturbed is up for debate. But can we really say that these films are the influencing forces for violence, or are they just mirrors reflecting society back at itself? Is Dangerous Cinema really just realism we don't want to accept? Cinema does something no other art form can entirely capture, a complete reflection of life, culture, and society in some form. Cinema, I believe, is the most reflective art form that we have, and maybe we shouldn't shun the darkest parts of our reflections. Those parts, as gruesome and threatening as they can be, can still lead to us finding out new truths about who we are. This has been Moving Pictures. We're